1: Well, hello, my dears. This is Too Hot for Radio, and I'm Aparna Nancharla, back with yet another story bound to make public radio listeners uncomfortable. If you know me, I mean, you don't, but if you did, you'd know that I don't do small talk. Weather, traffic, the mating habits of TikTok celebrities and their pets. Nah, I'd rather skip the pleasantries and ask about real things. I mean, literally. What is real? Oh yeah, hotheads, let's go there. Let me hit you with an existential grab-you-by-the-privates kind of intellectual gambit that is probably best posed by a collegiate stoner about to flunk out and open a bespoke hacky sack shop called Baby's Got Bags. But I digress. Reality. Seems easier all the time to splinter off into our own little worlds and stay there, especially with the aid of technology. I mean, you've seen that episode of Black Mirror, or Westworld, or Tron Legacy, or Tron Original, or that 80s Christopher Walken tour de force brainstorm. Point is, you've seen something. So you know computers can suck us all in, scramble our brains, and refuse to give us back. This is where today's story comes in. It's a piece about memory, fantasy, and a realm somewhere between the two, a place to which we might escape For a price. Let me give you our warning as we get started. Warning. This story contains references to all kinds of deviant behavior, including sex with fantasy creatures. Okay, full disclosure, sex with fantasy creatures is maybe the least of it. You'll get it when you hear the story. It's dark, thoughtful, and surprisingly funny. It was written by author Kim Fu, and is part of her 2022 debut story collection, Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century. Fu has also published poetry collections, including How Festive the Ambulance, and novels such as For Today I Am a Boy, which was a finalist for the Penn Hemingway Award. Because this story is a conversation told entirely in dialogue, we asked two readers to perform it side by side. One is Kirsten Vangsness, beloved for her long-running role on Criminal Minds, and for those in the know, her solo shows including Mess and her podcast Kirsten's Agenda. The other actor, Justin Kirk, is known for series including Weeds, You're the Worst, and Modern Family. Stick around after the reading as I'll be chatting with author Kim Fu about the nature of reality and whether the pen she uses to write is real or not. Okay, here's pre simulation consultation XF00786 performed by Kirsten Bangsness and Justin Kirk.
0: Welcome, I'll be your operator today. Hi. I see this is your first time. Why don't you start by telling me where you would like to be at the beginning of the simulation?
2: A botanical garden with my mother.
0: Hmm. Can you describe her? Uh, The way she will be in the simulation, I mean, doesn't necessarily have to be the way she is in real life.
2: I guess, I guess I I want it to be my mother right before she got sick. So she would be about 60, dyed black hair, gray at the roots. She was short, just barely five feet.
0: Hmm. Is your mother still alive? In real life? Yes. No. I'm sorry, but the simulation can't include uh, deceased individuals you knew personally. It's in the handbook. What? Why? It's in the handbook. Can you just tell me? It has uh, proven to be too addictive.
2: Wait, I can include dead people I didn't know? Like celebrities? As long
0: as they didn't specifically request to be excluded from simulations in their will. Anyone who died more than 10 years ago is generally fine. Historical figures, for example. Dinner with Mozart...
2: Oh, so it's a lawsuit thing.
0: Uh, It's more of a courtesy. We prefer to respect people's wishes. That
2: sounds like a lawsuit
0: thing. The requests aren't enforceable. It's functionally the same as you sitting around fantasizing about a dead celebrity, just uh, enhanced a little by us. We don't broadcast or record, so it doesn't fall under life or likeness rights. Uh, (laughs) You can't control someone's thoughts.
2: What if I didn't? Tell you it was my mother. What if I said, I'm in a botanical garden with a woman? She's about 60, short, dyed black hair with white roots, looks kind of like me.
0: It wouldn't be your mother in the simulation, it would just be a short woman who looks kind of like you in an entirely different way. The simulator hooks into your brain and its projections, and I would need to input that it's your mother for her to appear as your mother.
2: And people don't get addicted to that? To people who kind of, sort of, meet the same description? No. What if I hadn't told you she was dead? What if I'd lied and said she was alive?
0: It's very important that you're honest with your operator. It's in the handbook.
2: But what if it wasn't? What would happen?
0: It would not work.
2: What does that mean?
0: Uh, Best case scenario, the simulation just wouldn't start up. Worst case, you might experience something glitchy. Like what? Have you ever been to a hypnotist show? Yeah,
2: back in college. Well, you
0: know how they start out with a, a large group of volunteers and kick people out as they go until they're left with just a couple people who can be convinced that they're chickens or eating an ice cream cone or covered with ants? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we have to do the opposite here. We have to watch out for those people. We have found that the 10 to 15% of non-psychotic people who are hypnotically suggestible also tend to have a looser grip on the difference between fantasy and reality. Personally, I I, I wonder if those people have a keener appreciation of books, plays, movies, video games, if they have more immersive experiences. What does that The simulation, you see, requires you to have a firm grasp on what is and isn't real. We need clients to make a clean exit such that the end of the simulation is akin to closing the book, turning off the console, walking out of the theater. It's, uh, It's important that you're honest with your operator because... The simulation does interact physically with your brain. With the operators also need to be absolutely certain about what is and isn't real. Uh, This is all in the handbook.
2: So if I lied and said my mother was alive and you spun it up and we had our day at the botanical garden, what could happen?
0: At the end, uh, you might not know she died. And you'd go back to your life, expecting her to be there, and she wouldn't be. And ideally, the memory of her death and everything connected to it would come back to you on its own once you had talked to friends and family, or you would reconstruct it in such a way that it felt real enough, but it also might not. There might just be a hole there, an uncertainty that followed you for the rest of your life that unraveled your reality around it. And uh, that's assuming, of course, the simulation itself ran the way we scripted it.
2: What do you mean? What else could happen?
0: If I input the simulation on the assumption that your mother was alive, but your mind was very conscious of the fact that you lied, she could appear in both states simultaneously, or, or not truly simultaneous, but flickering between them uh, quickly enough to, as to appear simultaneous.
2: She would appear both alive and dead. Yes. What would that even, like her corpse?
0: It would depend on your conception of death. Uh, She might appear at several ages all at once. She might be a ball of light or nothing at all.
2: That doesn't sound so bad. It can be. Have you seen this happen, this specific glitch? Yes. What did you see?
0: It was uh, gruesome. How so? Their loved one had died in an accident, and they had been Present, driving. They were the driver. So what did they see? Let's get back to your session for today. Is, is there something else I can do for you?
2: I just... I really only came here to see Perhaps my mom. Perhaps you would
0: like to experience a, a particular environment, outer space, swimming with dolphins. Can I go to India? Absolutely, yes. Where in India?
2: I don't know. You tell me.
0: Um, are there specific cultural sites you wish to see, foods you want to eat? I don't know. For travel experiences, I usually recommend doing some research first. I
2: have to do research?
0: Well, any place will be what you expect it to be. If you have a limited perception of what India is, that's what you will experience. I I can't actually send you anywhere. We just manifest your fantasies. They have to be within your capacity to fantasize.
2: Well, what else do you suggest?
0: Sexual fantasies have a high satisfaction rate. Uh, also flying, always a classic, character role play, although for that I would recommend at least an eight-hour session, if not a full weekend.
2: Hold on. You said seeing dead people you know is too addictive?
0: Yes, it is in the handbook.
2: Sexual fantasies aren't addictive. Sex with whoever, whatever, however you want. Flying isn't addictive. What if I just said, I want to feel perfect bliss and euphoria? Could you do that? Yes. And that's not addictive?
0: So the problem with seeing deceased loved ones are well understood. Uh, For everything else, we find it best to deal with problem clients on a case-by-case basis. (laughs) Individual operators have the right to refuse any request.
2: There are no other rules?
0: There are de facto rules, things that no operator will do. Like what? Uh, Sex with children or real animals, generally.
2: Real animals? Generally?
0: It's it's hard to. I can fuck a
2: dragon, but I can't see my mom? I'm sorry. There are conditions under which I can fuck a child, but I can't see my mom! No, no,
0: no, no, of course not. There's a degree of discernment in... uh, We live in a society in which anything intimate or unusual is treated as sexual, and that (laughs) sometimes, uh, if a client asks to be held in the palm of a giant, is that sexual?
2: I mean, Probably.
0: So if they ask to be held in the palm of a giant child, uh, you would refuse if you were an operator? I suppose. You can't imagine a way in which being held by a giant child could be fun, whimsical, in a non-sexual way. I
2: guess it would depend on... I don't know where they were going with it, how they said it. See,
0: that is exactly... Can I
2: murder someone?
0: uh, That depends.
2: Are you kidding me? I can murder someone. But If someone
0: wants to come in here and wants to rehearse uh, stalking and strangling his ex-wife or shooting up his office, the operator is going to say no, but if he wants to, I don't know, be a gunslinger in an old western... Ah, so uh,
2: I can be an action hero. We
0: can do that.
2: Mow down bad guys, save the damsel. Is that
0: what you would like?
2: Do I have to tell you what the bad guys look like?
0: Ideally, yes, in in broad strokes, at least.
2: What if I wanted them all to be a specific race?
0: I, well, I, I, I would say no to that.
2: And if I didn't specify, if I said, I didn't care what they look like, what would happen?
0: I would sketch something in, but the simulation would be influenced by what your perception of a bad guy is.
2: So if my perception of a bad guy just but happens I guess to be... I, I,
0: I see where you're going with this.
2: <laughs> you would say no, but if I had a different operator, if one of my clan buddies worked here... Nobody
0: here would... Or, or, or just with, just
2: an operator with a different philosophy on the whole thing. Oh, they're just blowing off steam. <laughs> it's all in good fun. It's not real. A
0: simulation is just a platform. It's a machine, a venue. Your brain creates the majority of the content. We cannot dictate But there every... is one
2: hard no. Violent racist fantasies, a naked hot tub party with... Einstein and a unicorn. That's fine. That's up to the discretion of the operator, but I can't look at some flowers with my mom. I can't talk to her one last time.
0: Should we see about getting you a refund?
2: The the handbook says there are no refunds under any circumstances.
0: Oh, you read the handbook.
2: The refund policy is on the cover.
0: Most people have a very positive experience.
2: Having sex with unicorns.
0: You're really hung up on the unicorn thing. What,
2: what else do people do? What's the best fantasy someone came up with in here that made them the happiest?
0: There is a section in the handbook on how to make the most the of your... The best
2: one you've seen personally as an operator.
0: Me? Yes. Huh. No one's ever asked me that before. <clears throat> It was a musical. A musical? Uh, In the simulation, he was the writer, composer, and director of a Broadway musical. I suggested that he choose a specific musical, and we would make it so that in the simulation it would be as if he wrote it. He insisted that it had to be an original show. I explained everything in it then would be vague, just the feeling and suggestion of music and dance blurred and nonspecific, cobbled together out of other things that he had seen and heard, uh, much like India would have been for you. But it turned out I had misunderstood him. He had actually written a musical in in the real world, sort of. He had been working on it most of his life. He had the main melodies and lyrics. He could see the choreography and costumes in his mind.
2: Was it any good? Of
0: course not. It was terrible. (laughs) But we put together a hell of a show.
2: I I don't understand.
0: In the simulation, uh, it wasn't what it was but what he dreamed uh, it could be. Are you okay? That was a good day. That, that, uh, That was a day that made me feel good about being an operator. It's a lawsuit thing. What? The reason that you can't see your mom The simulator is inherently addictive. Everything people do here is addictive. Uh, A small number of our clients make up the majority of our business, the whales, rich people who come as much as they can afford, and then some people who come every day till they're bankrupt. But uh, the ones addicted to superpowers or sex or the simulator itself, Don't win in civil courts. Nobody pities them. Everyone says, oh, the simulation is just a platform. They ruined their lives themselves with how they chose to use it. If we advertise that someone can see their dead child again, they can see their village before the war, they can have a version of their life where their family is intact, go back to where it was, before it was shattered, they can live just one ordinary day without grief. And if they choose to live inside that fantasy, if they choose to forsake the real world and all its sorrows, <laughs> then we're the bad guys. We are uh, exploiting the bereaved. It also just, it, it, it happened so much, especially around certain disasters, and it was not. Operators would quit.
2: Did the musical guy come back?
0: No. Not that I know of. Uh, He just wanted to see it once.
2: What if I promise never to come back?
0: (sighs) I can't. I'm sorry. I'll get fired.
2: Is it hard-coded in, the rule?
0: No, we're just not supposed to. But
2: you said said the simulations aren't recorded or broadcast. They're supposed to be 100% confidential. That was also on the cover. How would anyone know?
0: When you come back. When you keep coming back.
2: What if I just tell you about it? What I want? And then you decide?
0: I'm telling you, I, I can't. It's
2: nothing. It's real it's nothing. It's boring. It's easy. It's so small. What I want. Okay. So my mom and I are at a botanical garden inside the conservatory.
0: What does it look like?
2: The conservatory?
0: Yes, where you are, you <clears throat> you have to describe it for me. All the details that matter to you?
2: It has a domed glass roof made of triangular sections. What time of day? Early afternoon, middle of the day. A weekday, I took it off from work. Blue sky.
0: How big is the building? Can you see the whole thing from where you're standing? No. What plants are immediately around you?
2: We're in the tropical rainforest section. Pink bromeliads, dwarf palms, a banana tree, butterflies.
0: What else is important?
2: We're walking through the gardens together. She's holding my arm. She's telling me plant facts, boring ones, like, did you know bamboo can grow a full inch in just an hour? And she's gossiping about relatives I don't remember and kids I went to elementary school with. Little Russell is a newscaster now. Aunt Sandy is pregnant, that sort of thing. And I'm just listening. I I say things like, that's interesting. And Russell did love to hear himself talk. I'm not getting snide or impatient or looking at my phone or thinking about work or picking a fight. And then? Nothing. That's it. You do that until my time is up. Are you surprised that it's not something more dramatic?
0: No, I told you it's often ordinary things. So what do you think? Well, the simulations aren't recorded, but these conversations are. What? Pre-simulation conversations are recorded as a text transcript.
2: I thought everything was confidential.
0: Well, the transcripts are anonymized, and they're not reviewed by a human being, just an AI, and uh, it tends to be somewhat literal-minded, not very good at telling when people are lying or being sarcastic, and the transcripts obviously don't contain our expressions or gestures. Do you understand? So no, I cannot do that. I cannot simulate a walk in the conservatory with your mother. Under the distant domed roof, triangles of blue sky, palm leaves overhanging your path, your mother delighted when a butterfly lands on her shoulder, and you patient and kind and present as you wish you had been just once, I would get fired. Tell me something else you want.
2: The only just thing. Just tell me I, something else. I want to ride a unicorn.
0: Great. I'll start the input and mapping process. Please head next door where you'll be fitted for the simulator cap. Usually, if I have any questions, I will use the room-to-room communicator. But uh, this time, I expect that uh, I won't have any.
2: Will you see what I see? Yes. Will I see you again?
0: No, if you keep your promise.
2: Oh, then thank you. Thank you.
0: Enjoy your unicorn.
2: I will.
1: Kirsten and Justin. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for talking to us. It's my pleasure. Okay, so this story, I enjoyed it so much, by the way. So imaginative and just yeah had me thinking long after i finished it but the rules for the world you created in it are pretty meticulous did you spend a lot of time just kind of trying to make sure the logic of the simulator was sound and and kind of added up
3: it's interesting you say that because i don't think the logic is sound i think <laughs> it's it's the logic of a private company right who's making a yeah. technology who they're just sort of making up the rules as they go along to protect their own liability. To me, the rules are nonsensical in the way that I feel like the rules often feel nonsensical for real platforms with user-generated content, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. The, like YouTube or Twitter and the way that they make rules and reinforce them. Um, so it was that kind of frantic company fumbling around was I think how those rules were
1: developed. In terms of sound logic, it's more in the Kafka-esque sense of <laughs> does it kind of makes sense from a corporate this sounds right angle yeah and we have this dichotomy throughout the story between memory versus fantasy as a form of escapism do you lean towards one over the other in terms of your own life or what you think is healthier um i mean i think neither
3: is healthy exactly i think <laughs> we're all striving to live more in the moment and memory and fantasy i feel like are seductive and dangerous a little bit as ways of of not being present, right? Of retreating forever into mm-hmm. the past and the future. I think this, I'm just repeating things my therapist said at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think that they're both things I'm extremely interested in thematically as a writer, uh, but in my personal life, it's something I'm trying to resist doing all the time to not just be lost in a fog of nostalgia or to be forever anxious about the future that you know, feels less predictable than ever at the moment.
1: Right. And I guess along those lines, like in the story, there's a question of dealing with emotion versus kind of deflecting into addiction or like you're saying, like
0: distraction.
1: Mm. Do you think by the end of the story, this is like the client really trying to process their grief or do you see it, I guess, in your head going towards like a budding addiction? I think that is...
3: The ultimate question of the story would this kind of experience give you the closure you want or would it just make the grief all that more powerful? Uh, and I think that that's the problem the operator has right is he can't tell what it's going to be for her and he's just to take her word for it that it's like no I just need this once I need this closure I need this experience. I really love video games I, f- I find I get addicted to them very easily in a way that I don't for other forms and I think it is that, that sort of first person perspective and that immersion and that way that they can feel like real memories, the memories you form while you're playing a game. I also lost my father when I was 24 and it was, you know, one of the most defining experiences of my life. Uh, And I think, I think for, for me, if I were this character, it would be extremely dangerous. It would be a way of, of retreating and of choosing fantasy over dealing with the reality that is at hand, you know, the, the things that you've lost forever and you cannot return to and the real world as it is. Uh, so I think Mm -hmm. for me personally, it would be extremely dangerous. And I think that that's the open question of the story.
1: In that sense, several of your stories in your collection exhibit some ambivalence around technology and like how it can be a slippery slope. How would you say your own relationship with, with your phone is Uh, not to put you on the spot? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Not good. Not healthy. Uh, I have, a a post-it note on the way to my bedroom that says phone-free zone on it, which is a very embarrassing admission. (laughs) No, I mean, Um, that
1: sounds healthy to be honest.
3: Yeah. I mean, I do, I do recommend it. I do feel like it helps my sleep and anxiety a lot to just have rooms where your phone doesn't go. Yes. Um, I've also a couple of years ago, I had to delete all of my social media just because I, was not capable of having a healthy relationship with it. And, mm-hmm. and it was sad because there was a lot I got out of it. You know, I made connects with a lot of wonderful people that I wouldn't have any other way. And, you know, real professional opportunities grew out of right. social media right. at different points. Uh, but it was just making me so incredibly anxious and I was not using it in a healthy way. And I, at first I was like, I'll just leave for a month. And then immediately my mind was so much clearer and yeah. I was so much happier. And then, you know, a month became a year and then two years. And I was like, I think I'm just going to delete my accounts.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love that. I I stepped away from social media too, especially during the pandemic. It just felt like it was taking up too much room in my brain. And I've had the same thing where going back now just feels impossible to, to be like, not oh completely overwhelmed by the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, uh,
3: like, uh, I was looking at a company account for like, because of something I was doing with, for a friend and it just, and I like looked at Twitter again for the first time in a couple of years. And it was like this fire hose of rage right, right. and I, I, I was staring at it and I was like, I can't believe I used to stare at this all day long. You know, I used to begin my day looking at this, Right. I, it felt so frightening
1: and overwhelming if you haven't seen it for a while. <laughs> I guess tying it back to your story, the reader learns as the story is going along that they're hearing a text transcript of a pre-simulation consultation and it's, you know, stripped of the tone and gesture. But how did you feel hearing two actors kind of read it out loud with all the inflections?
3: It was incredible to me how different it was as a performance than as a piece on the page, you know, where on the page it was asking the reader to, make a lot of leaps uh, and it was so interesting to hear actors doing that interpretive work for the, you know, for the mm-hmm, spectator, mm-hmm. for the listener. Um, I, I loved what they did with it. I loved where, you know, the way they put emphasis on little words like, Oh, or where they chose to pause or talk over each other. Right. Um, the little insinuations, all the character they brought. It was so amazingly new to me. Like I felt like I had this capacity for surprise that I had never wow. I'd never experienced before as, you know, a writer of fiction, I assume, you know, screenwriters and playwrights and stuff have this experience all the time. Uh, But for me, it was, it was totally new. And I, I loved it a lot.
1: A lot of your short stories lean towards the speculative, more so than your longer work. Is there something about the form that kind of attracts you or something about fantastical sorts of premises that is more engaging to write about? I think for a long time
3: I was really intimidated by speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your first question was about getting the rules down just right, and I think I would get really mm. hung up on that idea that I had to figure out all the global repercussions of this idea and work out the mathematics and and all of this as though I were actually going to invent the device or whatever.
2: All right. Um, right.
3: In a way that would that would trip me up and would prevent me from you know, writing the more human emotional stories that I was interested in in the first place. Uh, And I think with short stories, I was able to trick myself for just a second, you know, like we're just, we're just going to dip a toe in this world and see how it goes. It is something I want to keep pursuing and something I am interested in doing in longer works as well. I'm still figuring out my way in this genre, I think is what I would say
1: so many of your stories have just incredible first lines. Like I love the one from your story, 20 hours, which goes after I killed my wife, I had 20 hours before her new body finished printing downstairs. I, it just really immediately sucks you in. Do you work with a mind towards the first line or did that one just sort of come to you fully formed or was there any yeah process behind it? So, that one
3: in particular actually grew from a different short story, Hmm. a story by Elizabeth McCracken called The Goings On of the World. And it's not the first sentence, but there's a story, there's a sentence towards the beginning that goes, One morning in the last week of May, I got up, got dressed, and I killed my wife. Oh, wow. And I read that sentence and I was like, This is an amazing sentence. And it felt to me like you could give that sentence to, any writer in the world and they would all do something different with it. Yeah, Um, And so I wrote it down and I used it as a prompt, uh, which resulted in the story of 20 hours about the body printer. In general though, I think that short stories, because you have so much less space in which to try to convey characters who feel fully realized and an entire world that feels real, you have to hit the ground running. You have to keep everything really tight. You have to edit things down as far as you can go to me. And so I think that, you know, a a strong first sentence is a really important piece of that. I
1: love that you sort of arrived at that line, exquisite corpse style. It feels very (laughs) fitting. And there's so much kind of humor that hits you a little bit sideways in your stories. And your writing has such this wonderfully biting quality about it. Are are there any influences that kind of uh, moved you to write that way? There are a lot of writers who I think are very
3: funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth the Kraken, who I just mentioned, is one for sure. Um, I also think Karen Russell also has this quality. Louise Erdrich has this quality. Uh, she's, she has great wit. Miranda July comes to mind. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There are so many aspects of humanity I wouldn't know how to explore without humor. Or I, I also feel like if you are exploring, human darkness there's yeah. no way to avoid it you know if you keep digging down and down and down and down you you always hit comedy at the bottom i guess right think right
1: right right yeah it's all, it all ends up being on the same spectrum thank you so much for speaking with us and so looking forward to whatever you write next thank you so much for having me and that hotheads is our show if after that story anyone has figured out the true nature of reality I, for one, would love to hear it. Just come find me in the Metaverse and let me know. Can't miss me. My avatar is a 20-foot-tall purple owl with marshmallows for eyes. Just climb up my feathers and whisper your answer in my ear hole. And if you're right and you can tell me about the nature of reality in the length of a tweet, you could win a prize. Some too-hot-for-radio swag, perhaps? Dare I say a keychain? We'll figure it out. Until then, I, old 45-decibel Nancharla, remain your humble servant. Our show is produced by Jennifer Brennan and Mary Shimkin. Our podcast producer and editor is Colleen Pellisier. Matthew Love is our consulting producer. Our theme song is by Poddington Bear. This episode was recorded at the Getty Center in Los Angeles by Phil Richards. I'm Aparna and Carla. Thanks for joining us for selected shorts too hot for radio.